There are days when I think that the human child is the most resilient creature God ever created. Children are tough, they're flexible, children bounce, they hit the floor and they bounce, they hit the wall and they bounce, they crash their bicycles into trees and they bounce, their bones are still soft and mend before our very eyes. When my son was about six, I used to belong to one of these athletic clubs where they had, you know, a hundred Stairmasters and two acres worth of weight machines and ten tennis courts and six racquetball courts. And at the age of six, it was time for my son to learn how to play racquetball. So I took him there and we played an hour of racquetball and he was pretty good and we had a blast. And we were so happy when we were done. Michael was so excited to tell his mother that he had defeated his father at the age of six at racquetball. So we were leaving the racquetball courts in the back of the club, passing through the aisle between the two sets of tennis courts. And Michael's 30 feet ahead. He's so excited. He's laughing and running, and he's looking over his shoulder, chattering to me, and he runs smack dab with his forehead into one of those 30-foot I-beams that hold the roof up, the sharp edge, right? So there was a lot of blood, and we ended up in the emergency room, but six stitches later, everything was brand new, and I actually felt more sorry for the building than I did for my son. The whole place shook. Before the scar disappeared, we called him Harry Potter because he had a lightning symbol right here. Then, of course, you go to the children's hospital and visit a two-year-old girl in the ICU hovering between life and death with the meningitis virus, and you realize how fragile the human creature really is. And it's at times like that that you marvel that God came to earth in just this kind of fragile package. In the end, distilled to his essence, this is what Christmas is all about. Now, if you've been to Bethlehem, you know that winter in Palestine is not nearly as threatening as it is in Chicago, but it is 2 o'clock in Bethlehem right now, and it's 42 degrees. There he is, wrapped in rags, laid in a feeding trough. If our contemporary crushes are to be believed, the stable didn't have walls. Were they able to build a fire? And we're so used to Christmases. We've seen so many Christmases, we, we get used to the shock and the scandal of it. And we forget that until the Christian Gospels, no one had ever dreamed of seeing God in quite this way. We forget that until the Christian Gospels, for all people of every language and every color and every religion, God was that being than which none greater could be conceived. God was omniscient, omnipotent, unchanging, and incapable of suffering. God knew everything, did everything, and dwelt distant behind a wall of perfection, serene, tranquil, unrattled by anything which happened beneath the stars. And that was the way it was. Everybody thought so. Plato, Aristotle, Aquinas, Kelvin. But Luke keeps trying to upend our image of what God is really like. When he was a theology professor at Wabash College, William Placker wrote a book with a provocative title. He called it Narratives of a Vulnerable God. No one had ever thought about God as vulnerable before Luke. For millennia, human beings thought that the essence of God was power and strength and the ability to do impossible things, like making a square circle or making a rock so heavy that God, God's self, couldn't lift it, as little Catholic boys said to their mun. They're nuns trying to drive them insane. And Luke is trying to tell us that God is not power but love. 
God's essence is not defined by the love of power, but by the power of love. And the power of love is sort of an oxymoron, isn't it? Because love is essentially powerless. As soon as you love something, you have sacrificed your power over it because lovers always give freedom to the beloved. Lovers never come to crush, overrule, or compel. Love only persuades and cajoles and begs and submits. It's like Disney's Beauty and the Beast. While he has her imprisoned, Belle can never belong to the beast. But as soon as he lets her go, as soon as he lets her go, then she becomes his and he becomes a prince. Paraphrasing William Butler Yeats, when we love someone, we have not only placed their, our hopes in their hands, we have spread our dreams beneath their feet. We can only hope that she treads softly them because she treads on dreams. My best friend in high school got utterly smitten with the homecoming queen slash valedictorian slash all-state soccer player slash Eliza Doodle in the school play. Smitten. Isn't that a wonderful image? Smitten. She smote him. He was smited. <laughs> it wasn't her fault. She was nice enough. He did this to himself. He was absolutely helpless in her presence because he was not in her league. Once upon a time, there was a church in conflict. I know you will find it hard to believe, but it's true. The Christians split up into two camps, not over something trivial like the Trinity or the resurrection of the body, but over something really important like the color of the carpeting in the fellowship hall. And they had a meeting, and one of the guys who wanted blue rugs just took off after someone who wanted green rugs. I couldn't believe what he said to this woman. I was speechless. And I asked myself, how does he get away with that all the time? How does he get so much power? But then I answered my own question. It's because he doesn't care. It's because he doesn't love. This gives him absolute power. And that's what Christmas is all. God relinquishes the power of 100 billion stars and 100 billion galaxies and places God's self in human hands to see what might happen. And look what did. Because God loves us, God does not want to win over us. God wants to win us over. Captain Ahab puts it so eloquently when the Pequod, his ship, is struck by lightning. I know thee, thou clear spirit, and I know that thy right worship is defiance. I know thy speechless, placeless power. But to the last gasp of my earthquake life, I will dispute its mastery. Come in thy lowest form of love, and I will kneel and kiss thee. But come as power, and though thou launchest whole navies of full freighted worlds, there's that in here that will defy thee. And so divinity knows that the beloved responds differently to speechless power from vulnerable innocence. And at Bethlehem, God gives us this spectacular redefinition of what it means to be strong, of what it means to be divinity. 
that God is most powerful and most winsome and most irresistible, not in the parting of the Red Sea, not in a cataclysmic flood, but crying in a manger, washing a fisherman's feet, eating at an infidel's table, embracing the least, the last, the lost, the lame, and the lonely. It might be the greatest story ever told. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.